Hello, everybody. This week's parish is Parshish Taldis. And the parish begins with telling us how Yitzchak and Rivka are waiting for a child. And the Pasuk says how by Yetar Yitzchak Lashem, and Yitzchak davens to Hashem. But Tari uses a specific language, language of Itor, which Rashi says it means Hirbe Vehiftzir Betfila. He kept on davening, Hirbe Vehiftzir, he kept on pushing. He piled up Tfilas. He davened and davened and continued davening. And the Medrash tells us that there's 10 specific languages for tefillah, for prayer. And one of them is this language of etor, of just piling on prayers and davening and davening, continuing to daven. And from the fact that the Medrash defines it as one of the languages of prayers, which means that this is a specific style, so to speak, of davening that Baruch specifically wants, that a person will daven and continue to daven and almost, so to speak, nudge him and keep pushing him to do something. And if Shushan Pinkus in the Sefer Sha'ar Matfili asks the obvious question is that why would Hashem want us to nudge him? He either wants to give us the thing that we're asking for or not. We should ask once, maybe twice, and that's it. We all know if somebody nudged us into submission, right, we would hate the guy. So why did Hashem make it that he, he has something which you want? He's like, you have to nudge me for it. What's going on over here? And he explains... That there's a big difference, obviously, between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If we have something and somebody else asks us for it, so if they ask us once and we say no, the reason is we don't want to give it to them. And the only reason we will give it to them after they keep nudging us is because their nudging is so annoying, we'd rather they just give them the thing instead of having to deal with their nudging. But with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's never anything HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want to give us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu always wants to give us what's good for us. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu never... Is limited. So why does the Kaddish Baruch Hu make us wait? Because you know, as the Chinuch tells us, that when a person davens, when a person goes and sits down and recognizes that his only source of help is the Kaddish Baruch Hu, the person himself changes. The person himself grows and gets more connected to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. So a Kaddish Baruch Hu, when you come to Hashem and you ask Him again and again and again, every tefillah that a person puts out there, the person changes himself. A person grows and a person becomes closer and closer to Kaddish Baruch Hu. So Kaddish Baruch Hu is happy when we nudge him for something, for two reasons. Because number one, we're getting closer to him. Every tefillah, we're getting more connected to him, we're getting deeper entrenched in our belief that only he can help us. But number two is we're getting closer to be getting to the point where he can give us what we need. And there's nothing Kaddish Baruch Hu wants more than to give us what we want. And therefore, Kaddish Baruch Hu asks us to please nudge him ask and ask again and ask again because you're getting closer, you're getting closer to that level where you'll be zaycha, where you're going to merit to get what you want. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants is to give it to us. He gives a mashal, he says, imagine you have a person who has a terrible illness and he has to go to a doctor, a special specialist, and he finally gets into the specialist. And it happens to be that this specialist, besides her being an amazing doctor, is also a really, really nice guy. And as he gets healed by this doctor, they develop a relationship and they become good friends. Now, obviously, after this person gets healed, you ask him, what was better? Getting the relationship with this new friend of yours, this new doctor, or getting healed? Now, obviously, the guy will tell him that obviously getting healed is the most important thing. And the relationship is a nice side perk. But sometimes in life, we don't realize that the side perk is much more important. For example, says the Shara Mitzvila, we know that Shal HaMelech, he lost a bunch of donkeys. And he's looking for his donkeys, he can't find his donkeys. And finally he goes to the Navi to ask Shmuel where is where the donkeys are. 
And what happens? At that point, instead of finding the donkeys, he becomes the king of Klai Israel, which means that the side perk, the thing he wasn't even looking for, ended up being much greater than what he originally was looking for in the first place. So we go and we daven for something that we need. We can't get frustrated. You have to realize that Baruch who wants us to get closer to him, and he wants to give us what we want, but he also wants us to come closer to him because that's something that we'll have for eternity, that connection to him, and it will serve us for so much more in the future. Further on in the parsha, the parsha says, And the passage describes how when they grew up, Esav became a hunter, and Yaakov sat in the tents and he learned. And Rashi brings a medrash. The medrash says, "What's the Torah saying by Yigdilu Hanaarim that the that the children grew up?" It says Rashi, "Calls Manshayuktanim, as long as they were children, Nikarim there was no way to tell the difference. They weren't nicker. It wasn't apparent in their deeds. Nobody was paying attention to them. What their nature was. Once they turned thirteen, Zepirish the Bati Medroish. This one turned to go learn the base Medrash. Zepirish Avaydazara. This one turned to go serve Avaydazara. And the Hirsch asks, what exactly is the point of this Medrash? What's the Medrash trying to tell us? That yeah, when they're little, no one could tell. Now they're big, and everyone can tell. Okay, fine, cool. What's your point? Says the Hirsch. The Medrash saying a very, very powerful point and a very, very scary point. Says the Medrash. You see, Esav and Yaakov when they were little, nobody could really tell the difference because no one was looking. And Esav was a somebody who knew how to play the game. He, you know, he settled in, even though it was against his nature. He wasn't somebody who wanted to sit and learn. He wasn't somebody who wanted to be doing the same thing Yaakov was doing. But okay, his parents were on top of him. He was able to. He, he kind of he 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 bit it. He bit and he and he kind of stuck stuck it out. Once Esav got a little bigger. Once he became thirteen, then he rebelled against everything that was pushed against him, and he became who he really was. And nobody saw it coming. All of a sudden, I was like, whoa, where did Esav come from? He wasn't Nicker Bamas of Tonel. He looked just like Yaakov. Where did this all come from? Says the verse, the manager said, you know why that happened? Because no one was medactic betivim. No one sat there and tried to figure out what's Esav's real nature. If somebody sat down and looked at Esav and said, look, Esav is clearly a kid who cannot be put into the same role as Yaakov. If somebody sat down and said, we have to decide what's the best path for Esav, we can't force him to be the same as Yaakov, it's not who he is by his nature, then says a verse, it could be that we would have been able to avoid having the Esav who we all know of. And that's the verse that the Medrash trying to tell us, that a parent and a teacher, their obligation is to be medactic, mativam, to look when they're still young, what's his teva? And is he just faking and he's just waiting to get a chance to break free? Or is it actually working for him and he's actually in that right place? He says that's what it means. Esau was ish yadeat sayid. He says the word sayid, the word sayid, is similar to the word sayid. A sayid is someone who can wait secretly and patiently. A hunter can wait until his prey comes out and then take advantage of it and catch it. And he says Esau was an expert of playing the game. He was somebody who, because he was pushed to go against his nature, he learned how to fool his father and tell his father all these great shilas about miser, yeah, this, that. But really, Ace of Deep Down was somebody who was not for him. And the second he had the ability to break free, he broke free. And that is what we're trying to avoid, always, says a verse. We're trying to find out what our children's natures are really, what they could really become, and how to bring them out, to bring out what their true mission really is, and help them develop that.
Later on in the parsha, the parsha tells us how Esav comes in, and he's oyef, and he's tired. And the Gemara tells us that on that day, Esav committed five cardinal sins. He was kaifer be'ikar. He killed somebody. He lived with a naira hamarasa, and the Torah, for some reason, chooses to zoom in on only one sin. The Torah in our parsha says, "By Yivez Esav es and Esav, he disgraced the Bechera. He was mevazeh. And the Sefer Ruach Elio and all the Balimusra, they ask, of all the things that Esav did that day, this is the worst one. This is the one that the Torah feels the need to zoom in on. Why specifically Vayivez Esav as a Bechera? Why is that the one that we're focusing on? Another question I saw from Roberto Provarsky, he asks that, it's interesting, we look at the parasha, we read this parasha for many, many years, and if you think about it at face value, it seems almost like Yaakov is this like mean adult who tricks a little kid. You know, a kid comes in and he's carrying $20 bills. His parents, grandfather gave him for Hanukkah. And you tell him, here, I'll trade you that for a lollipop. And the kid doesn't know any better. And you give him the lollipop, take the $20. That's a nasty thing to do. Taking advantage of a little kid not knowing what things are really worth. And that's what it seems like Yaakov is doing to Esau almost. Esav doesn't know what the Bechera is, all the brachas and everything, and the Avaida. And Yaakov tricks him and says, I'll sell it to you for a bowl of soup. And Esav says, fine. Right? So what's going on here? Yaakov was tricking Esav as something we're proud of. And finally, at the end of the parsha, when Esav finds out that Yaakov stole the brachas, he comes in and the Pasuk says that Esav cried. And the Medrash says that Esav dropped two tears and he almost dropped a third. And says the Medrash that for each one of these two tears that Esau dropped, we lost a base of Mikdash. Each tear caused such a big kitrick, such a big claim against the Jewish people that we lost a base of Mikdash for each tear. And the third tear, says the Medrash, if it had dropped, thankfully it didn't drop, it stopped halfway in his eye. But it had dropped, who knows what would be with Klai Yisrael? And the question is obviously, what exactly, why is Esau's crying about losing the bracha, something that Klai Yisrael is going to lose a base of Mikdash for? What's going on over here? The Ruach Hayo explains as follows. He says that the end of the parsha is really a sign for the whole thing. Esav is not a little kid who doesn't know what Pechayr is. Esav is somebody who grew up in the house of Yitzchak and Rivka. He had Avram Vino as a grandfather. He knew good and well what Ruach is worth, and he knew good and well what Ruach means. It's just that Esav had a fundamental flaw. You see, he was by Yives as Abacharim. He knew what it was, but he couldn't put in the effort. It wasn't worth the struggle for him. So he didn't value it enough to put in the effort for it. So when he had to choose, you know, between a bowl of soup and the Bechaira, he's like, ah, oh, forget it. I can't. No one tricked him. He knew exactly what it is. He just couldn't care. He couldn't get himself to value it properly. And therefore, the terrorist says, look, all the other sins Esav did, that just means that he got overcome by the Yetzirah. He killed Nimrod because of whatever was going on, and he had a taiva for to live with this woman he wasn't supposed to live with. Those are all chatayim, sins of passion. He got overwhelmed. But there's a fundamental issue when a person doesn't value ruchnis, doesn't value spirituality, doesn't value eternity. That's the biggest issue because that's something which is so much harder to fix. That's a fundamental view on life that 
spirituality is not worth the effort. It's not worth the time and effort that it takes to gain any real eternity. And that's what Torah is holding Esav accountable for. And that's why at the end of the parsha, when Esav realizes that by losing out on the Ebrechaira, he lost out on Brachas in this world and the next, he realizes that, oh my gosh, spirituality really is worth the effort. I'm such a fool. He cries, and he cries two real tears of regret. Regretting trading off the eternal reward of becoming the Bechar for such a passing, fleeting, physical pleasure like a bowl of soup. And he cries real tears of regret. And those tears are things that are a claim against Klai because Klai has that bracha of the Bechara and the Avaida. They got it. And if they're not going to value it, if they're going to do Averis during the times of the Korban, then Akash Baruch Hu holds them accountable. You have this, and you don't value it. Even Esav realized what this is. And that's why the tears are a kitrick against us. And that's what the parish is telling us, is that we have to value what we have. We have to understand that it's worth the effort. We have to know that it's something that it's so important and so eternal that it's worth all the effort that it takes and to truly value the gifts that we have. Later on in the parish, where Yaakov goes in to get the brachas from Yitzchak, the Pasuk says, And he smelled the smell of his clothing. And the Medrash, famous Medrash that says, don't read it begadav, his clothing, rather as a begadav, his traitors. Says the Medrash that Yitzchak, when he smelled Yaakov, he smelled the traitors of Klaisrael, the future traitors of Klaisrael, that even the traitors of Klaisrael, deep down, when push comes to shove, they have a certain holiness inside them. The Medrash gives two examples. Medrash gives an example of Yosef Meshisa. Who was Yosef Meshisa, says the Medrash? That when the, the Babylonians were destroying the first base of Mikdash, they came there, and they were afraid to go inside. So they said, anybody who goes in and takes and finds something, they get to keep whatever they find. So there was a Jew named Yosef Meshisa. said, I'll go in. And he went into the base of Mikdash, and he grabbed the Mandaira. And he walked outside, and when the Goyim, when the Babylonians saw the Menorah, they said, no, listen, we meant to take anything, but not that. This is too fancy, this is too beautiful, this has to be saved for the king, go back in and take something else. At this point, Yosef Meshisa thinks, and he says, no, I'm not going back in. I went in once, I rebelled against my God once, I'm not going back in a second time. And they pushed him, and they promised him great reward, they said you can get the tax collections for two years, you can get whatever you want, just go back in. And he said, no, I'm not going back in. I went in once and I angered Hashem. I'm not doing it a second time. To the point where they went and they punished him a horrible and cruel death. And as he was dying, he kept saying, Oili Sheikh Asti Bayri, woe is to me that I angered my God. And the Panamit Shurav asked that, what's going on in this story? How do you have a guy who's such a low life that all the non-Jews are afraid to go into the base of Mikdash? And he walks in, and not only does he walk in, he takes the Menorah which is something that even the non-Jews realize is too special, it's too holy for a regular person just to use. And this guy, he doesn't get it. He goes in, he's so grub, he's such a bore, that he goes in and he takes whatever he wants, and the next second he's willing to give up his life for HaKadosh Baruch not to make a chil Hashem? How does that happen? What made the switch? Says upon Yerav, a very, very important point. Says upon Yerav, you know what changed? He was inside the base HaMikdash for a minute. A person walks into a Makkum Kaidish, you never know what effect they'll have on him. 
A person walks into a shul for a bit, sits down and learns for a couple of minutes. A person goes in and davens somewhere. You never know how it's going to change them. Every second of exposure kedusha can change a person around, and that's his upon which of that the Medrash is teaching us the power of exposure to kedusha and should never be underestimated. Want to end off with one last idea? Pasuk says towards the end of the parsha that after Esav finds out that Yaakov stole the bechera, he says, "I'm going to kill him." He says, I'm going to wait till you meet Avil Avi. So the days of the mourning for my father after Yitzhak passes away, then I'll go and I'll kill Yaakov. And the Kliyakar explains, why does he say specifically you meet Avil Avi? The days of the Avelos, of the mourning for my father. Says the Kliyakar, because Esau understood that Yaakov is somebody who learns Torah. When a person learns Torah, he's protected. And therefore, said Esau, I'll wait till the days of Avelos, because in Avel, a mourner is not allowed to learn Torah. And since Yaakov won't be able to learn Torah during that time, he won't be protected and I can kill him then. Now, Josh Mordechai says that everyone asks on the Kliyakar, what do you mean? We know that an Aval is allowed to learn the halachas that pertain to Avelos. He's allowed to learn sad things, similar to the laws of what we're allowed to learn on Tisha So how could Esav assume that Yaakov won't be learning? Yaakov will still be learning the halachas of Avelos. Says to Josh Mordechai, the Kliyakar's time is a very important thing. Kliyakar is telling us that, yes, Yaakov will be learning that, but that learning won't be done b'simcha. When a person's in Avelis, he's not allowed to learn with joy. It's a different type of learning. And Kliyakar is telling us that the learning that protects a person, the learning that gives a person that special shmira, is when a person learns with simcha, a person enjoys his learning, he's excited about his learning, and he gets into his learning. And that's the learning that protects us. We should all be zaycheb, to truly learn Torah b'simcha. We should have all the protection from the Torah. We should all have a wonderful Shabbos.